Okay, so we are going through the book of Revelation, and I sat down last night to read Revelation to refresh my mind, and it's always amazing what you discover and rediscover, and uh, as such, I've made some notes to open this broadcast with, I hope you don't mind. Uh, From Revelation chapter 3, Revelation chapter 3, we read about how the Lord Jesus Christ has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, a great picture for his deity. The seven stars, of course, picture seven angels, and the seven spirits of God, uh, according to most commentaries, would be in reference to the Holy Ghost. So not only is Christ the second member of the Trinity, but according to Revelation 3.1, he has almost in his hand, if you will, the seven spirits of God. Difficult passage to really drill into, but I think what I got from that last night was how the Lord has the Holy Ghost. He was anointed by the Holy Ghost, very God and very man. On top of that, he has seven stars, the seven stars being seven angels. From chapter 5, verse 1, you've got a book being removed from the right hand of him that sat on a throne. Now, the book could be the Bible, could be the deeds to the earth but either way this book is removed from the right hand of him that sat on the throne being God the father and yet from chapter 1 verse 16 and he had in his right hand seven stars concerning Jesus Christ and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword in reference to the word of God and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength so take these verses together And you get a clear picture of the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. And also from chapter 5, from verses 4, 5 and 6, the Lamb, being Jesus Christ, uh, steps forward to take the book out of his Father's hand. A great picture, surely, to denote the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Also, uh, from uh, chapter 10... Chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. This mighty angel could be El Gabor, a Hebrew term for the Lord Jesus Christ, comes down from heaven, and he too, verse 2, has in his hand a little book open. And that book could be the scripture, could be the deeds to the earth again. But this angel has the book in his hand. Could be the angel of the Lord, which is a term back in the Old Testament, to describe the Lord Jesus Christ, and in the New Testament, to describe uh, God the Holy Ghost. From chapter 10, verse 8, a voice speaks to John from heaven. could be Jesus. Verse 9, the angel speaks to John. And verse 11, the angel speaks to John again. So we can't be dogmatic as to who this mighty angel from chapter 10 is. Most commentaries, I should say, will tell you that this mighty angel is Jesus Christ. I don't know. But either way, what I was able to glean from Scripture last night is how Christ works very closely with the Holy Ghost in the book of Revelation and also how Daniel could be one of the messengers found throughout the book of Revelation. I will say this also from our study throughout the book of Acts, that from Acts chapter 8, I forget the verses, but there is an account where the Holy Ghost speaks to, I think it's Philip from memory, and then the angel of the Lord speaks to Philip. They work very closely. 
And again, the angel of the Lord, Old Testament, is Jesus Christ. And for the New Testament, it would be the Holy Spirit. But around this time, the rapture has occurred, followed by two billion people killed. No ifs or buts, no chance to repent. They get wiped out just like that. The two witnesses are then mobilized, and we'll read about them today, followed by the Antichrist, the false prophets, and the 144,000. So much, much material to look at this morning, and it's just possible that this will take a two-Sunday uh, study to complete satisfactorily. But for today, let's start in Revelation chapter 11, please. And there was given me a reed like unto a rod, and the angel stood, saying, Rise, and measure the temple of God and the altar, and them that worship therein. One of the great facts that will occur after the rapture of the church will be the third temple. The Jews have been itching for decades to build the third temple, but they've been thwarted by external pressure and internal pressure. Most Israeli governments, going back to 1948, have been secular very secular and they don't want a third temple to go up because they see it being very divisive and yet a third temple will be built after the rapture of the church and here john was given a reed like unto a rod and the angel stood saying could be the angel from verse 8 could be the angel from verse 11 could be the angel from chapter 10 verses 1 2 and 3 i don't know measure the temple of god and the old and them that worship therein to measure the temple simply uh, means that this property, this complex, this holy place belonged to the Lord. Measure it and mark it, if you will. This also shows me that in eternity, as glorified people, we can not only uh, eat, not only uh, enjoy uh, each other's company, uh, wear clothing, but we can also hold something of substance. We're not just sitting on a cloud, twiddling our thumbs. We are going to be part of something. We're going to have kingdoms in our, uh, under our authority and angels in submission to us. But this is a great truth. And I should say it's very much discarded by most of Christendom. They will spiritualize this and as a result, miss out on a great blessing. Verse 2. But the court which is without the temple leave out and measure it not. For it is given unto the Gentiles and the holy city, so they tread under foot forty and two months. Don't measure the temple which is without, outside. Don't measure it. Don't even observe it. Why? For it is given unto the Gentiles, non-Jews, unsaved people. And the holy city, Jerusalem, so they tread under foot forty and two months, three and a half years. Now I should also say that from Revelation chapter 11, we get the second completion from the book of Revelation. I'm not sure I made it very clear from our study. We went through uh, chapter 7, but in chapter 7, verses 15, 16, and 17, you got the first ending of the book of Revelation, referred to as parenthesis. And parenthesis, or a parenthetical approach to scripture, simply means this, that John the Apostle was commissioned to give you four endings or four accounts of the Lord's return to earth. The four writers of the Gospels gave you four different perspectives of the first coming. But John the Apostle will give us four accounts, four descriptions 
of the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's like this. If you were to write about World War II and you were told to do so, but from the perspective of the Brits, number one, the Americans, number two, the French, number three, and the Russians, number four, you would do so from four different perspectives. And that's what John is doing. He's one author and he's telling us about how the end is going to play out, but he's going to do it four different ways. And here, from Revelation uh, chapter 11, verse 2, the Gentiles are very much outside of the temple, of course, because they're not saved, and they will tread it underfoot 40 and two months. Now, again, we are uh, chronologically at the end of the tribulation, and I will say this very briefly, that you can teach Revelation in a chronological order. I've done that for all of my years since I was saved for 14 years. And yet at the same time, I don't want to negate the point that I just made that you can teach us from four different perspectives. Parenthesis. You can, as I say, cover it from four different aspects without losing the overall theme of this book. And I will try and further elaborate on that as we go through the word of God. Look at verse three, please. And I'll give power unto my two witnesses. They shall prophesy a thousand, two hundred and threescore days clothed in sackcloth my witnesses plural they're going to prophesy they're going to preach for a thousand two hundred and three score days that's 42 months my two witnesses and that's why i made the case at the beginning of this broadcast that most commentators believe that the mighty angel from chapter 10 verses 1 2 and 3 is the lord jesus christ and as such he's able to commission these two witnesses which are going to prophesy in jerusalem no doubt quite possibly next to the third temple for three and a half years, clothed in sackcloth. It's like time has stood still. And I will get to who uh, the two witnesses may be, but what is fascinating to me is that this account is still future, and these two individuals are going to be clothed in biblical attire. Fascinating. Let's keep reading on. Verse 4. These are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. Two olive trees... Two candlesticks. Chapter 1 spoke about seven candlesticks. Seven churches. Keep your hand in Revelation chapter 11. Go to Zechariah, please. Zechariah uh, chapter 4. Zechariah chapter 4. And look at verse 11, please. Then answered I, and said unto him, What are these two olive trees upon the right side of the candlestick and upon the left side thereof? Zechariah is speaking to the Lord. Very similar to John speaking to the Lord. 12. And I answered again and said unto him, What were these two olive branches which through the two golden pipes emptied the golden oil out of themselves? A great question. 13. And he answered me and said, Knowest thou not what these be? And I said, No, my Lord. Very much like John. Who are these that have came out? Or who are those that are going to come out of great tribulation? Do you know? And the angel says, Yes, they are, they are tribulation saints. And here is Zechariah. 500 BC is speaking to the Lord about a vision that he has just seen. Look at verse 14, please. Then said he, these are the two anointed ones that stand by the Lord of the whole earth. Uh, anointed ones, those that have been commissioned. And that term anointed means Christos, Messiah. These are the two anointed ones that stand by the Lord of the whole earth. Go back to Revelation chapter 11, please. Gabriel would speak to uh, Daniel. And also Mary and Zechariah. And tell them that he stood before the Lord of the whole earth. It's a picture of power, privilege. 
And here, Zechariah is giving an account of these two individuals that we are reading about this morning. And we call that double application. What Zechariah saw, what he spoke about, concerned the rebuilding of the temple. And here, what we are reading about this morning is going to be relevant to the third Jewish temple. 11.4, again, these are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. Five, and if any man will hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth and devoureth their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. You can be sure of this, that during their time on the earth for three and a half years, they're going to make people mad, absolutely mad. For three and a half years, the Lord crisscrossed Israel. He preached the gospel. He called a man to repent. And for the most, they despised him. And they tried to kill him on numerous occasions. And it says in the word of God how his time wasn't yet come. They couldn't touch him. They tried, but he was very much working on the Lord's timetable here. And if any man will hurt them, verse 5, fire proceedeth out of their mouth. You think of Elijah, don't you? And devoureth their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. So if anyone tries to interfere with the two witnesses, they're going to be cut down. They're going to be burnt to a crisp. In fact, this piece of scripture from 11.5 is also mirrored, counterfeited from chapter 13, verse 12, concerning the false prophet. Read it, please. And he exerciseth all the power of the first beast before him, and causeth the earth and them that dwell therein to worship the beast, whose deadly wound was healed. And he doeth great wonders, so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men, and deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he hath power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth, that they should make an image of the beast which had the wound by a sword and did live. Go back to Revelation chapter 11. So you see, the false prophet, very religious, is going to counterfeit one of the two witnesses, which suggests, seems to be Elijah, based on him being able to burn, to use fire. And he would call fire down from heaven, back in the Old Testament, and kill, I think it was, 185 people. Let's keep reading on, please. Verse 6 from, uh, from Revelation chapter 11. These have power to shut heaven, that are not in the days of their prophecy, and have power over waters to turn them to blood, and to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. These, plural, have power, authority to shut heaven, that it rain not in the days of their prophecy. Again, Elijah prayed for three and a half years that it wouldn't rain. And that's also found over in the epistle to James, the epistle of James. So Elijah does seem to be one of the two witnesses. We can't be dogmatic about it, but based on fire, verse five, based on closing heaven, verse six, that it wouldn't rain in the days of their prophecy seems to suggest that Elijah could be one of the two witnesses look at this colon and have power over waters to turn them to blood you think of moses you think of the river nile you think of moses clashing with pharaoh a picture of the antichrist and to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will and i read this last night i thought to myself what an interesting scripture these two witnesses are able to smite the earth with fire and cause it not to rain to cause a famine a drought so on and so forth but the latter part of verse 6 interests me and to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will and i thought to myself this is it possible that the two witnesses during the tribulation are going to in some ways i don't quite understand control the 
seven seals, the seven plagues, the seven trumpets. For example, during the Gulf War, the British uh, SAS were deployed deep into Iraq, and their remit uh, was to seek out enemy targets, put tracking devices on enemy targets to allow the RAF to bomb enemy targets. And those SAS troopers, very brave men, were very much the vanguard of the British invasion into Iraq. And those men, as I say, were able to not only call in airstrikes from RAF fighter jets, but they were able to allow such uh, air crews to see which targets to bomb, destroy and desecrate. And I think to myself, is it possible that the two witnesses will be calling fire and brimstone down from heaven in a similar manner? It says they have power over all plagues as often as they will. Almost unlimited power. Seven. And when they should have finished their testimony, the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. This beast ascends out of the bottomless pit. And we read about him from chapter 9, a couple of studies ago, from chapter 9, verse 11. And they had a king over them, which is the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in the Hebrew tongue is Abaddon, but in the Greek tongue hath his name Apollyon, meaning destroyer. He's also mentioned in Revelation chapter 17, uh, I think it's verse 8, and the beast that thou sawest was, and is not, I shall ascend out of the bottomless pit, and go into perdition, and they that dwell on the earth shall wander, whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, when they behold the beast that was and is not, and yet is. This beast ascends out of the bottomless pit. An awful thought. And it's like this, when... Uh, the Lord Jesus Christ was betrayed by Judas. It says over, I think it's Luke 22, how Satan entered into him. So Satan was able to contaminate Judas, which resulted in the Lord being betrayed and subsequently crucified. The devil will interfere with the Antichrist, who will in turn kill the two witnesses. There is nothing new under the sun. And yet I will say this, that the Antichrist who is mentioned 36 times in the book of Revelation, is not only the second most mentioned person in Scripture after the Lord Jesus Christ, but if you were to sit down most Christian teachers and scholars, he's the most uh, misunderstood and neglected person in the Word of God. They don't give him the time of day. They don't give him uh, a second glance. And as such, they too miss out on great biblical truths. But from Revelation 11, verse Seven, again, and when they should have finished their testimony at the end of three and a half years, the beast, Antichrist, that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit, shall make war against them, and shall overcome them, and kill them. All of the apostles, but one, were martyred for standing for the truth, for preaching the gospel. And here, these two individuals, very brave men, uh, after preaching the gospel for three and a half years, are going to be cut down. A public massacre, a public execution. Let's keep reading on, please. Verse 8. And the dead bodies shall lie in the streets of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also a Lord was crucified. Jerusalem, of course. You think to yourself, why is it called Sodom and Egypt? Well, if you go to Daniel chapter 9, Daniel chapter 9, look at verse 27, please, concerning the Antichrist, the beast. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week, 
and in the midst of the week he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of abominations he shall make it desolate, even unto the consummation, and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. In the middle of the week, so let's say midday, on a Wednesday, he will confirm this covenant, this false covenant, this phony peace, and then break it. So look out for midday Wednesday for such an event to take place. And in the UK, every Wednesday lunchtime at 12 o'clock, the British Prime Minister goes to the House of Commons. And they call that Prime Minister's Questions. PMQs, a very important time in the PM's calendar, in the PM's schedule, to go to Parliament to take questions. And here, he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. Those in Israel, which according to one commentary that I read, will be able to take place because the Jews are going to be demon-possessed. A terrifying thought. And in the midst of the week, middle of the week, he shall cause a sacrifice and the oblation to cease concerning the third temple. And some commentators believe that during this time, there'll be human sacrifices during the, or taking place during the uh, time of the Antichrist, uh, Antichrist's presence on the earth. And this third temple will be sacrificing people. I'm not sure about that, but some believe that to be so, and for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate, even unto the consummation, and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. Go back to Revelation chapter 11. Like I say, much material to cover. And I'll say this very quickly before we move on, that because the rapture is being and gone, because over 2 billion people have been massacred, the world is going to be in an absolute uproar. Desperately looking for someone to step forward, to take control, to... Steady the ship, as it were. And the Antichrist will come along and offer himself as such a person. And they will gratefully receive him. And you can see why, can't you? Millions, if not billions, killed. You've got these two witnesses preaching the gospel, no doubt televised, tormenting wicked people around the world and wanting to silence these two witnesses and yet unable to. And eventually, the beast comes up out of this bottomless pit and makes war with them, overcomes them, and kills them. It's party time. It's Christmas come early. At last, these two individuals have been cut down, put in their place. And they think that, as such, they're going to be on the right side of history. And yet, the worst for these people is still to come. So when it says, Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. In fact, I didn't quite explain that adequately enough. Uh, go back to uh, Daniel. Daniel, I read about the covenant that he breaks, which is correct, but I didn't give you the cross-reference back to Sodom and Egypt. Uh, Egypt, of course, is a type of the world, and Sodom, of course, is an abbreviation for sodomy. But in Daniel, uh, Daniel chapter uh, Daniel chapter 11, please, Daniel chapter 11, look at verse 37, please. Neither should he regard the God of his fathers, nor the desire of women, nor regard any God, for he shall magnify himself above all. So the suggestion has been that the Antichrist will be a homosexual. Could be. If you sit down with a Catholic priest and speak about celibacy, they will say that they've chosen that way of life. They've chosen to be single. They've chosen to abstain from marital affairs, so on and so forth. And yet most Catholic priests are either heterosexual, some are married with children, I should also say, or they're not heterosexual in uh, relationships, some married, others are also homosexual and are enjoying relationships with other men. 
But the point is from 11.8, you've got the term Sodom and Egypt describing Jerusalem because the Antichrist around this time will be controlling Jerusalem. He will be the prime minister, the president, the king, the emperor, the pope of Jerusalem, if you will. And their dead bodies shall lie in the streets of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also a Lord is crucified, Calvary, Golgotha. So picture this, if you will. We are at the end of the Great Tribulation. Chapter 11 of Revelation will give us the second end. The second end of John's, uh, John's account of Revelation. You've got the Antichrist ruling and reigning with the help of the false prophets, which we read about over in chapter 13. Jerusalem has been commended as his base and some commentators believe that Washington, New York and Paris will also transfer their power base to Jerusalem. He will be king, president, pope, emperor, like Napoleon, if you will, all rolled into one. But it says how their dead bodies shall lie in the street. And some people suggest that these two witnesses are decapitated, beheaded, like Goliath, like Saul, and others back in the Old Testament. To behead someone was the ultimate picture of humiliation. It was bad enough to kill your enemy in a public way, but to take his head off and parade it around was the ultimate picture of victory. So verse 8, one more time, and I will close in verse 8. And their dead bodies, the two witnesses, could be Moses, could be Elijah, could be Enoch and Moses, and yet Enoch is a picture of someone who gets saved in the church age and never dies. Can't be dogmatic about who these two people are, but they are certainly men, not women. And their dead bodies shall lie in the streets of the great city, just discarded with contempt, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also a Lord was crucified. To leave someone dead on the street, possibly decapitated, possibly naked, which is what some commentators would have you believe, is the ultimate picture of humiliation, the ultimate picture of disgrace. And again, keep in mind this, please, that this will be televised this will be streamed around the world. And we have the technology today to do this. Look at today's service. Going out live on the internet and later on the shortwave radio. 15, 20, 25 years ago, it wasn't possible. The internet was very expensive. Dial-up was very uh, problematic. Uh, radio in the UK is sewn up. And yet today, we can purchase radio time. We can stream our messages throughout the internet. We can connect with people live Globally, and here these two individuals, referred to as two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth, have been cut down in their prime. And yet don't feel sorry for them. They have come back to preach to those on the earth, which, according to chapter 10-11, John the Apostle may also be resurrected to come and preach throughout the tribulation. What a thought. So I think you've got the main theme of these eight verses and much material has been covered praise the lord and yet there's no way i'm going to be able to complete revelation chapter 11 today so we will close in verse 8 and lord willing pick it up next week in verse 9